Patrick Hoots from the Carlton Footy Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Dane Zorko here from the Brisbane Lions. Jason Johannesson from the Western Bulldogs. Luke Parker here from the Sydney Swans. It's Roy Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Maxwell and Melbourne Football Club. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey, friends, you got MJ. I hope you're well. The number six player in my 50 most relevant is our Brownlow medalist, Lockie Neal. He's the last pure midfielder I'm going to reveal. That is something I'll tear with five more players left to go. Helping me talk about Lockie. I got Kane back. Hey, mate. How you doing? Very well, MJ. Your last mid. My ego, Your last mid a is the Brownlow medalist. Last pure mid. So there are guys that have midfield eligibility, but they're not pure mids. So, yeah, no Andrew Gaff, no Taylor Adams. I think that would surprise a few people. They've both been... You know, obviously both had great seasons last year. They've both mm-hmm. shown it in previous years. But there's a, again, you can only fit 50 in a top 50, MJ. Yes. I know you know that better than anyone. Yeah, well, that's very, very true. All right, let's talk about Lockie. 27 years old, absolute superstar, and had a blinding year last year through the midfield. His best AFL fantasy and dream team score came against the West Coast Eagles. It was an unadjusted 126, well north of that 150 marker if you're using adjusted average scoring. While in Supercoach, the highs were still high, just maybe not as high as some thought it might have got. 171 against the Dockers was his top score from last year in Supercoach. Contrast that to his best ever Supercoach score. It came just the year earlier against the Tigers, a 190. While you've got to go back to 2016 and when he was a Fremantle Docker for his best ever AFL fantasy score, unadjusted that is, which was a 169 against the GWS Giants. Last year, he averaged the 98 across Dream Team, the adjusted average for AFL fantasy, multiplying it by 1.2. That's a 122.5 seasonal average. Certainly a career best if you want to use that format of adjusting. While in Supercoach, definitely his career best. An average of 134 in that format. Man, he's a pricey player to own this year. 721,800 in Supercoach. 935K in AFL Fantasy. And $904,900 in Dream Team. And Kane, last year, there were two types of fantasy football coaches. Those that owned Lockie Neal for the majority of the year and those that didn't. And ultimately, whichever side of the coin you're on really determined the success you had last year. Yeah, he was that player. There's always one MJ, and it's, you know, usually in the midfield line where, you know, people bob up and down. You think of Jack McRae and his big breakout year. And Lockie Neal was that guy last year where he just took it away from me. You, you look at what he did and it was just frankly incredible. You know, Matt DeBoer kept him quiet, I'll say. You know, a 73 unadjusted in DT and an 87 in Supercoach. Yep. But, you know, he got all the way to round 12, MJ. And the guy was going at 146 Supercoach points and 106 DT unadjusted. Quick mass, 132 adjusted. Like, you put the captaincy on that. And as you said, if you didn't have him, it was a torturous year. Yeah, And if you did, you were laughing. And I'm not going to say in Supercoach, I've never heard people criticize the scoring system in Supercoach more when they didn't own Lockie Neal <laughs> than last year. You know, he'd get a handball or a clearance or a score involvement and, you know, owners would be applauding how good this got the captaincy on him. And people would just be, frankly, just raging, saying, how is this guy getting rewarded so much for his, his work in the game? Um, and yeah, 146 
point out. Like we've seen some greats of the Supercoach game. You know, you think back to Gary Ablett in particular, yeah. what he could do. Yeah. Like for the bulk of the year, Lockie Neal was putting five to ten points on those record high numbers. It was just frankly insane. What he did last year was incredible. He ranked first in the AFL for total disposals, first for total contested possessions, first for total effective disposals, second in the league for total clearances, third for total stoppage clearances. He ranked fifth for total score involvements, sixth in total centre clearances, and 11th for total metres gained. This isn't on average or aggregate and then third in total inside 50s to top it all off he was a beast no one was shocked on Brownlow night when he walked away with Charlie from a fantasy football perspective he was huge for us last year that average of 98 in dream team and fantasy up to the adjusted 122.5 in AFL fantasy if you want to do that 10 pure tons last year no one really got anywhere near that last year in that format outside of Lockie Neal. Three of them were over 120 unadjusted. Throw in another four additional scores of 80 to 99. That is the equivalent of 14 of the 17 games hitting the adjusted average marker of 100 plus. Yeah, just three scores all year that weren't there. He ranked first for total points and was so far clear in that format of everyone else. 108 points clear of the next player. That is a full game's worth. Unadjusted, by the way. A full game's worth. Closer to that 130 marker. And that was Clayton Oliver, who we talked about with Heff from the Keeper League pod just a few days ago. That's what he did in Dream Team and Fantasy. Then in Supercoach, an average of 134. 14 tons from his 17 games. His lowest 100 of the year, by the way. 113. 10 of his tons were over 140. And like I said, just those three sub-100 scores all year. He ranked first for total points, and not just by a little bit, by 200 points clear of the guy in second place in Jack Steele. He ranked second for averages, was the number one midfielder by average, and he was one of only two players to average over 125 all year. It's incredible what he did. Oh, MJ, it is. It's just, it's frankly insane. Again, those numbers, rightfully so, people are probably thinking, how is he only at six? And I guess that's the reason. He was so good last year. He's so expensive this year. Now, is he going to repeat it? You know, we know it was a different season. Sure. Quarters were shorter. The waiting in Supercoach clearly favoured him. You can't deny that. But on the flip side, he is a proven gun. Like The thing that jumps out to me is you look at what he did at Frio, his last three seasons in Supercoach in particular, 2018-112, 17-109, 16-113. And his time on ground in those three years on average was 80%. His two years at Brisbane, 89% in 2019, 92% in 2020. Yeah. Like, that's a stat. He's always been a great points-per-minute player. We've known that. That's just... He's so efficient when he's on the ground. He's taken that level of time on ground to the elite for a midfield. If you're in the 90s, like we know that Andrew Gaff's almost on a yeah. tier of his own playing, you know, 97, 98% time on ground. But for a guy like Lockie Neal that plays on the inside it's and he's crazy. playing that much time on the ground, it's no surprise that that reflected a jump in scoring. The hard thing is, is there upside? 
Well, that's me, the big one, I don't know it? if you can say upside. What oh. I think you can say is that he will be among the top mids again, no doubt. Yeah, can he maintain that level of output? Remember, in shortened quarters, his possession count dipped on just about four possessions per game. Again, in shortened quarters. I know his time on ground was comparable to previous seasons, but it held his marks held his tackles held what's important is his kick to handball ratio started to get closer to a, to a pure one for one whereas say in 2019 at brisbane again we can go right back to his Fremantle days but new club new opportunities you know was averaging 12.5 kicks per game in 2019 was averaging 18.8 handballs per game still that 31 possessions while last year it was a 13.6 kicks per game 13.9 handballs per game so that's a real nice ratio for us in terms of what he delivered from a fantasy perspective in 2019 seasonal average of 105 11 tons 5 over 130 so there's a ceiling for us there and was in the top 15 for total points and for all midfielders in terms of averages in supercoach he averaged 121 in 2019 so it's not a crazy outlandish pop yeah 130 plus averages high absolutely but it's not insane because in 2019 in supercoach 17 tons 10 again were huge over 120 10 of them and seven over 140 so there is ceiling there that is just absolutely incredible and then there is a real important factor that doesn't get talked about enough with these big-end guys. Durability. He does not miss games. He missed one game in 2017. He missed one game in 2014. In the past seven years, Kane, he's missed two games of football. He gives us elite scoring and elite durability. What a perfect combination. Yeah, and I think that's why, MJ, despite this massive price tag, and I think, you know, more than the majority of people thinking he can't improve on that average, Yeah, he's in people's starting mix for those two reasons. Yeah, He shows up every week, and the scoring potential is there that across the whole season, yes, he's shown he can be susceptible to a tag. Yep, no doubt. But the ceiling's there to balance that back out. And as you've seen in previous years, especially in these two years of the guy, for whatever reason, starts hot. Starts really, really hot. So if you don't start him, all of a sudden, when you want to be buying this guy, the price tag is actually the same or sometimes even higher. And you've missed those captaincy opportunities. So that's why I think, while most people aren't saying he's going to 130 DT and he's going to 140 Supercoach levels, by just maintaining or even dipping a few points, yeah, this is the guy that you want in your team. So why not just start him? Make and room. find some value elsewhere throughout the season. Well, that's an interesting point, isn't it? A couple of things that you mentioned there. If we want to look at that early data of what he's done at Brisbane, again, we can talk about previous years, but there's no point adjusting and looking to what he did um, over in Freeman because he's in a new environment. In the past two years, contrast his opening six games averages in contrast to his final six games of averages. In Supercoach, last year, his first six games, Average of 150. In 2019 in Supercoach, his first six games, an average of 136. Look at what he did in the last six games in Supercoach the past two years. An average of 111. Still good. The last six games, an average of 116. Still good, but a fair way off the marker of what those first six. In Dream Team and Fantasy, 
He averaged in 2019, 115 in his first six games. In the last six games, it was 103. In Dream Team and Fantasy, what did he do in the first six games? 111. What is that up at an adjusted average of Kane? Something like 140? And then again, and, and the same thing again over the final six games, seeing him back towards that adjusted average of around about that 103 marker. And so history suggesting if you want to get Lockie Neal, that price might not be all that far off what he's done. Yes, he's got to go a little bit over and above to maintain that price point due to the average and the magic numbers. But if he delivers another third year where he starts considerably stronger than he ends the year, man, it's still going to be hard to afford him, let alone any other big premiums you want to get. Well, MJ, it makes it simple, doesn't it? If you want the best of Lockie Neal on that, on that data, you start him. Yeah. Because the coaches that really benefited last year, there was probably a few groups of beneficiary. First one, you started him and you enjoyed the ride throughout the whole season. Yeah. The next group that benefited was this guy is too expensive and has to come back to earth, and you didn't trade him in at peak value at around you know around 12, 13. And then the third one that unfortunately copped it was you trade him in at around 10, 11, and you cop his two lowest scores for the year in the final six games, including you know the real stinker that he had against Sydney. Like that's what hurts when you pay Big mega bucks, bucks and, and at those points you were paying 140. Yeah, you, know, you were paying through the nose for a guy that, like you said, he had a great season last year at 121. You paid through the nose. Like, that's what really hurts. Like, there was some guys that you could have gone elsewhere in hindsight. We've spoken about Matt Crouch's run home, Sam mm. Walsh's run home, Bonson Pelly in particular, and Supercoach was the best guy on the run home. Yeah. Um, that's what hurts. And if you're looking at this logic again, if Neil flies out of the gate, you're left making the same decision. Do I pay through the nose and hope I get what people have already benefited from for 10 weeks? Or do I just have to skip him? Yeah. And for me, that's what inclines me to start with the guy because, like you said, availability is near perfect. I want him for the whole year because when he gets on this run, MJ, this could be a different year. He might have two tag games in the first six rounds. And everyone jumps on and he flies home. You know, it's, yeah. we're not saying this is guaranteed. Obviously, no one can make that claim. But in two years of data, there's a clear jump between his start of the year compared to his tail end of the year. And I think that's what's making people think it's an expensive price tag. But this is a key guy, key guy of your team that you want. Yeah, he's, he's such a, a player for me that I think, again, you've got to look at every player in the 50 most relevant while it is a cumulative look across the fantasy community. With Lockie Neal, I do think you need to look at it format by format. I think in AFL fantasy, I think he's got ownership of about 25%. There's so much value underneath that that I feel much more comfortable in AFL fantasy picking a player like a Josh Kelly. I know I know, I may be leading the hype train on Josh Kelly more than others, or even a Matt Crouch, who revealed just the other day too. Both, I think, are capable and comparable to match him in terms of scoring and are considerably cheaper. That additional 150-odd K that you could get yourself through those formats of the game, I, I struggle to want to spend big bucks on a bloke that I think 
can score in a similar range. And I'll explain why I think in a moment, why I think in those formats, they're similar range. In Dream Team, I think if you think he's a top five to 10 mid by the end of the year and, and right in the clear top of the tree, you like that buy around, you like that structure, you just want him. Cool, I get it. I'm probably not quite a starting squad option in that format of the game, but I see what you're trying to do. In Super Coach, man, that's a big jump. Like, that's 10 to 12 points per game of a jump. But if the worst case scenario is a 121, 122, which he did the year before, there was still only a handful of players that did that last year in an adjusted, arguably compromised scoring season. So at worst, are you maybe overpaying for Neil? Yes, but he's shown that he can be a 120-plus guy through the midfield, has no questions of role, has no questions of ceiling, and has no questions of durability. So in that format, more than the others for me, and because of the way he builds his scoring, if someone said, it feels like I might be paying too much, but at least I have him, he's my captain option every week, and the worst-case scenario is still probably better than 98% of the other midfielders available. If someone said that to me, I'd go, you're in. Lock your choice in. The thing that I think for me hesitates about the Dream Team and AFL Fantasy scoring boost, so much of it is about the adjusted average scoring. His time on ground increased last year over the year. It, it slowed as the year went on, but at Brisbane last year, it was an 89%. This previous year in 2020, it was up at 92% across the year. There were some games where I don't even know if he went to the bench for more than 90 seconds. He was barely there. Back into longer quarters and into limited rotations, while I know he can be an impactful player up forward, I just don't know how I can genuinely say he's more than a 110 guy in Dream Team and Fantasy I, I need to personally see it to give me the confidence to pick him in those formats. As a 110-plus guy and at that price point, I think that's what you've got to pay for him to be. What's your take in those formats? Yeah, again, that's the thing, MJ. I think Supercoach, we've, we've gone deep in that. We know that he's top tier in that format. I think, yeah, the real discussion is AF and D. I think mainly DT. I think AF people are more inclined to pass just because it's such a big price tag. And as you mentioned, it's based on an adjusted score, yeah. which has a lot of circumstances that, again, I get you have to make a call. It's a very simple way to do it. But as fantasy coaches, we have to look a little bit deeper and see you know, where the value is. And I just don't see any at that point, especially when you look back at his history. And yeah. even in that great Brisbane season in 2019, it was still couldn't even eclipse 105. Yeah. Now, I clearly think that was a great year last year. He won the Brownlow... And it was better than that. But also, we know that it's hard after your Brownlow year. Yeah. It's just a fact that, you know, you don't just keep going up and up and up and up. And I think, you know, 115 is probably the best case for Neil in that format. That's, that's my, that's my guess. Agree. And I'm, I'm paying, you know, 123, 124 price. And as you mentioned, and we've, we've done podcasts on these guys, there are other guys that can get to 115. It's just a fact in that DT format. There are some guys, whether it's Josh Kelly, you know, so on and so forth, McRae, hmm. Trelaw. Now, the reason they're behind Lockie Neal, let's not forget, he is the number one midfielder Correct. in this top 50. Yeah. It's because he has no role questions. None. He has no durability questions. None. Like, 
I would not be shocked, and I would be almost, if I had to bet, say that Lockie Neal will not be the top DT averaging mid. Mm. Again, I'm not talking about Luke Dunstan playing one game and beating <laughs> him. There'll be, whether it's a Kelly or Crouch, it's not his format. His format has always been... Super coach. Yeah. He's really... Look, last four years, he's, he's 10 points better off. Yeah. At least in those formats. And that's yeah. how his game's played. And for me, for me that, that's one of those things where I do have to pass in those other formats because yeah. I can get better value. Again, Lockie Neal dropping 10 as my best case, whereas, you know, let's name a Walsh going up 5 to 10. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, they're really close. And I can always, you know, upgrade to a Neal. Again, in Supercoach, though, his ceiling and consistency is so high and the likelihood of him falling out of the top three to five in that format is so low for me. Yeah. But I love the safety of going, yes, I've probably overpaid a little bit, but he's a captaincy option every week. Yeah, I've got him. He doesn't let me down, and I've got him. I don't so, have to figure out how I get him, because like we said at the start, if he flies out of the gate, how do you get him? And then if you've gone Proust, who we talked about yesterday as your R2, and Grundy flies and you've gone against him, okay, how do I quickly get him? And then maybe you've only locked in a Lloyd and a Whitfield, and Laird pops through the midfield. How do I find a way to get him? There are only so many of these big boys you can go against. And so if he flies early, and this is why he's at number one, not just because of that high scoring, because if he pops, he will fly coaches out of the gate like he did last year. Equally, if he just holds and treads water a little bit back to 2019, still solid, still good, but then coaches have about 150K that they've invested extra into him that could have been better utilized elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's the main thing, isn't it? Especially in those other formats. But yeah. If you've got another guy, and again, I think it's going to happen a lot in this preseason, MJ. We're going to see one game. We're going to really like someone, and people are going to go, you know what? I need the cash. I love yeah. you, Lockie Neal, but I need the cash because I need to take someone else, you know, whether it's a rookie to a mid-pricer or a mid-pricer to another premium. Like, that invariably happens the closer we get to round one. Absolutely. And it just depends on that lens you're looking through. I think if you ask most people, Lockie Neal's a top eight mid in both in all formats, yeah. lock it away. But as we always say, it's about the whole squad. And I just know the closer we get, the more we start cutting corners yeah. for cash. And I think he's a guy that people will not want to pay the price tag for in DT and super in DT and AF or fantasy, excuse me. Yeah. The closer we get, because some of these mid prices will emerge, these you know, premium rookies will emerge and he'll be a guy where they go, the value's not there instead of just thinking, yeah, this guy gets it done every year. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Look, for me, um, he he's a player that's going to define your season. When you get him, how you get him, that's the fascinating question for me. And it's why I've got him as the most relevant pure midfielder in 2021. Now, where the heck does he go in drafts? Normally, a guy that was the clear, like clear overall scorer um, across all formats would go as a locked first round, first pick overall. And that still might be the case in some drafts. But in the mock drafts that I've either personally participated in or we've done on the mock draft simulator or, or just anecdotally, you and I have talked on numerous times that locking in a key ruck or one of those top-end premium defensive options or forward options, coming at an extra premium this year in the first round. I think he still goes inside the first five to six picks 
overall, maybe even the top three, depending on the format you play. But is he a is he a lock for the number one pick in your eyes, Kane? Oh no way, MJ. There's he's not. I can't see a scenario in my own head where I pick him inside the top three. In that's any format? Yeah. Yep. That's just me personally. Again, I've got the two rucks and Jake Lloyd ahead. Um, and depending what I see in the preseason, you know, I think I could even argue a Whitfield, a Dunkley, a Laird. Um, again, I've, I'm putting 10 points of value on those other, other lines. And yeah. I, I think those guys can all be guys that are 110 plus. Neil has to be, mm. you know, 120 plus to compete with those guys in my mind. Now, if I'm talking pure mids, he probably is the first guy I take. Again, it's a draft. Durability really, really matters. And I do feel like I'm going to get between probably 107 to 115. Like, that's pretty safe. Yeah. Um, but really, if I'm playing that safe, Again, I'd rather take a Whitfield if he's healthy. You know, he's, clearly we know he's bailing at the moment, but that type of player that in his line, he's really going to separate me because if I've got pick seven or eight, I think I can get a pretty similar mid to a Lockie Neal, maybe even a full round later. Yeah. In a DT. You know, in Supercoach draft, he probably is right on the precipice of challenging that top three of. Gorn, Grundy, and Lloyd. Yeah. Because if he can go, you know, 125 to 130 range, you know, he's again, he's got that 10-point buffer over maybe a Jake Lloyd. And again, you just can't discount that durability. I think in that format, I probably feel safest inside the top five. Yeah. Maybe at about four or five. Yeah, it's about um, right. And DT a little bit later. Again, that durability is just such a key factor for him in, in draft. You're not losing the draft with Lockie Neal, that's for sure. No, he, he's not going to be the reason your draft you goes pear-shaped, that is for sure. All right, there you go. That's Kane's thoughts uh, on Lockie Neal, not just in drafts, but across the entire fantasy formats of the game. Now we find ourselves venturing into the top five players on my list of the 50 most relevant. Kane, appreciate your thoughts today. No problem, mate. If you want to go check out the article, it is online now for you at coachespanel.tv. All the links for the podcast for every other players you can find while you're there, as well as at coachespanel.tv. How you can get involved in our Patreon supporter group, get exclusive content, early access, some hidden communities, and a bunch of other stuff are all found at coachespanel.tv for joining our Patreon army. So, at the start of this episode, I let a cat out of the bag that there were no more pure midfielders left. Neil was my highest. There are five players left to go. Who are the five? It's probably not hard to figure out by now. But have you got the order right? I'll tell you who's at number five. Hmm, maybe in, uh, maybe in a day or two. Yeah, let's go with that. 